every time uh, I complain about my feet hurting, uh, which is far more often than I care to admit, I have to wonder to myself if Jesus' feet ever hurt him. He walked a lot. <laughs> he did. He walked. I mean, after all, he was always on his feet. Walking was the mode of transportation during Jesus' day. Um, you know, there, <laughs> there have actually been some people that have estimated that Jesus in his lifetime walked 21,000 miles. I have a hard time walking to the mailbox. Can you imagine? 21,000 miles in his lifetime. That's amazing because the uh, equatorial circumference of the earth is only 25,000 miles or just under it. And so I did the math. Jesus walked the distance of 84.3% of the distance to get all the way around the world. Amazing. And, and there are others that have estimated that he and his disciples in that three and a half year period of itinerant ministry walked over 3,000 miles. Uh, and I complain about my feet. <laughs> uh, I've got all the arch supports you'd want. And uh, they didn't have it and they walked. Uh, so when you get to Matthew 7, in the portion of scripture we're about to read, and Jesus describes an easy walking path and a gate that leads to destruction, all of his disciples could relate to this metaphor he was using because they'd walked with him everywhere, on, on hard paths and on easy paths, through wide gates and through narrow gates. And here's what Jesus said, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way or path is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way or path is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I've decided for the next three Sundays to take two prophetic words that we received during our fast and one prophetic testimony that Christina gave and share on those three topics this week, next, and the week after. It's something I've never done. I've never taken a prophetic word and built a sermon around it. I fully believe in the gifts of the Spirit operating in the body of Christ, and I'm grateful that we have them operating here. And might I say... It's time to stir up the gift of God that is within you. But the gifts that have been exercised during our fast have been so significant. My dad gave a prophetic word that is, that is so, empower, so empowering and so clarifying. And then Katie gave a prophetic word. And then Christina gave a testimony. We had a lot of things. But those three stood out to me as really poignant for us in this time. She spoke about strongholds, and I think that is a really important message for us too. So I am excited to look at these things. By the way, in the church email that you received, the two prophetic words have been transcribed, and they've been put in there and will be for the next few weeks, so you can read them again. When Jesus says these words about a narrow gate, it makes me realize that narrow language is hard for us to take. <laughs> Most of us are looking for an easy path, not a hard one. Uh, but Jesus calls us to uh, the path that might be difficult because the gate is narrow, but the life is so fulfilling. For anyone who's read the Gospels, 
you know that the narrow gate is less of a what and more of a who. Um, Jesus himself is the gate. He made this claim over and over and over again, like in John 10 when he said, I am the door. Not I'm one of the doors. I'm one of the doors you can choose. I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, not one of the ways. I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he says this, no one comes to the Father except through me. Wow, Jesus. Such bold, brash statements that you make. He either really means it or he's crazy. These statements have caused a lot of people to discredit what he said, to refuse his call and to balk at his claims. How can Jesus be so narrow-minded, so limiting, so insular, so intolerant, so restrictive? What's interesting to me is that we're not always opposed to the concept of exclusivity. We are with Jesus, but there are other times that we don't care about it at all. Like, I see very few drivers insist on going the wrong way on a one-way street. Nobody argues with that sign. Some people might go the wrong way, but it doesn't go well for them. And the manufacturer of your hairdryer is not being narrow-minded when he warns you not to blow your hair dry sitting in the bathtub. How narrow-minded of him. I can blow my hair dry everywhere I want to. And if the doctor recommends that you take medication to control your high blood pressure, you're not likely to accuse him of being narrow-minded in his diagnosis. Well, I forgot the day we're living in. <laughs> I think about it with my dad. Uh, my dad, you all know him, and he's, uh, he, he uh, used to work and climb communication towers in southeastern New Mexico and west Texas. And um, he uh, had a lot of work that he did on the KBIM TV tower in southeastern New Mexico. And when it was built in 1966, it was over 1,800 feet tall, was the world's fourth tallest man-made structure at the time. Here's some drone footage of it just a few years ago. That's above the clouds. If you wanted to see the whole eight-minute video, he goes all the way to the top with this drone and then goes all the way down to the bottom. And it is incredible. Now, my dad, when he was on that tower, didn't mind one bit the narrowness of the tower itself. He didn't feel limited by those guy wires holding it up. He wasn't looking for a different way than the little mechanical lift that would 
that was open air that he could get in, though rickety as it was, and it could lift him in the center of that tower to the top. I was with him one time on that tower, and I don't know, we were eight or 900 feet. <laughs> that sounds like just so little. <laughs> Let me tell you, it was not. I was uh, scared, and yet it was the adventure of a lifetime for me. Here's the interesting thing about that tower. Two years after it was built, actually two months after they went on air, that tower fell to the ground. It fell, and only 300 feet were left standing. They don't know why it fell. There was 40-mile-an-hour winds at the time, but that was always the case in New Mexico. But it fell. And Dad said that he was a tower climber in the 60s, and the word went out from the Lloyds of London Insurance Company who would go up that 300 feet left standing and disassemble it? <laughs> Nobody took them up on it. They had to just cut it down, let it all fall, and then rebuild it. But sure enough, just a few months after it was rebuilt, my dad was on that tower. And then he took me up. What was he thinking? <laughs> dad didn't consider the narrowness of that tower. It was security. It was provision, it was safety, it was the way to go. It's funny how certain things don't bother us about being too narrow, but when it comes to Jesus saying that he's the narrow gate that leads to life, well, that's a problem. How dare him limit my options? But why? Does it really matter how narrow it is if real life is actually what it delivers, why would we be so concerned about the narrowness when the life is so wonderful? Here's the most central part of this text that we've just read. <clears throat> it's not that this gate is so narrow. It's that we always want to go so wide. That's the issue. Or we wanted to do it our way. We don't want to be told how to do it. We don't want to be limited. I see two major reasons why humanity has problems with going wide. And we all go wide. We all step outside the line. We all draw outside the line. Color outside the line. We like to be outside the line. We prefer wide versus narrow. That seems restrictive and inhibiting. But there are two major reasons that I believe that we go wide. The first is what Jesus addresses just two verses earlier in Matthew 7, 11. He said, we're evil by nature. Hmm. That's what he's, he said that. Here, look at it. Matthew 7, 11. If you then, who are evil... If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He wasn't talking to the Pharisees and scribes here. He wasn't talking to the Roman occupiers or officials. He wasn't talking to blasphemers or pagans. He was talking to his own followers. If you are evil. The concept of original sin is the most verifiable doctrine in the Christian faith. It is throughout these pages that we read and ingest into our Christian life. We are born into sin. It is the nature 
of humanity to go wide. Now, can you imagine using this sort of language in your everyday life? Like all of our teachers here, we have a lot of teachers in our church community. I'm very grateful for them. I have been encouraging us to be praying for them in this very, very challenging season with COVID and all the restrictions and masks and children's and virtual and all that stuff. So you please pray for them. But can you imagine any of our teachers sitting down with some parents during a parent-teacher conversation and, uh, and looking at them and saying, well, since we know that all of us are evil, including your little Johnny, uh, it's no wonder that he acts like a heathen in my class. Can you imagine teacher saying that? I can just see Rebecca Yoder saying that to one of the parents. Well, we all know we're all evil, including little Lucy. You know, she's an evil little person. What? What would the parents say? You can't use that language in our day. You never hear people talking about how humanity is sinful, evil, especially children. I mean, we say, oh, they're so good. They're so innocent. They're so pure. No, they're not. They're evil. Yeah, you're not, you can't say it, but we all know it. I mean, you just gather a room full of kids, unattended, and just give one of them a piece of candy and watch how their innocence and purity come out. We know. They reveal their fallen nature so quick, and so do we. Since you, church, followers, disciples, since you are evil. And we don't like that, but that's the truth. You see, our notion in most of the world today is we're all good. We're, we're fairly good. And if we're just one step over the line being better than being worse, then that's good enough. That will get us in. We'll get our tickets. God knows I'm a good person. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd try my best. But he said, Jesus said, no, you're evil. If you don't start there, you're never going to receive what he offers you in his salvation, which is a gift, despite the fact that you're evil. You have to start there, or what he did for you won't amount to anything for you. The Russian novelist, Ivan Turgenev, he wrote, I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like. And it is terrible. The prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the apostle Paul said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He even said of himself in Romans seven eighteen, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Well, can you relate? As a pastor, I often see people at their worst. But when I think of sinful nature, I'm not thinking of you at your worst. I'm thinking of me at my best. Because my best and yours too, is never good enough. 
You'd think with all the Bible study and prayer that I do every week that I'd be a really holy person. But all you got to do is ask my wife to know that's not true. Now, she loves me and she covers me, but she'll be honest with you. I still got my issues. I'm like Paul said, I'm a wretched man. A wretched man that I am. My heart can still be proud and ambitious, divisive, judgmental, harsh. I care way too much about what people think about me, still. I know how I'm prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Apart from what Jesus does for us, his exchanging our filthy rags for his robes of righteousness. Apart from that, we are nothing but evil. The only thing that makes us righteous in his sight is not the good that we do, but the righteousness that he gave us. It is imputed to us, given to us. He exchanges our filthy rags and he clothes us with robes of righteousness. The danger is that once we get clothed, we start somehow feeling like we had something to do with it. And that's where legalism can creep into our lives and we start judging others because somehow they're not doing what they should be doing, which we never did either. Jesus is what gives us a righteousness. But apart from him, we're evil. And that's where we start. And the process of sanctification is ongoing. And I promise you, nobody here except Miss Phyllis is righteous. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, she's close. She's just one step away. No, no, I know him. He's not there close at all. No, no one's righteous. No, not one. Even Miss Phyllis or Curtis. We are all in this process of being sanctified just as God has justified us. And one day we will be like him, truly righteous, because we will be glorified with him. So being born into sin is the first reason we go wide. We go wide because it's in our nature to go wide. The second reason is closely related to it, and that is it's the ease of going wide that it promises. (laughs) Look at verse 13 again. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. Easy that leads to destruction. Why go wide? Because it's easier. The path of least resistance. It's the same reason I chose to earn my basketry merit badge in Boy Scouts Instead of archaeology, it was easier, and I didn't have to. Oh, sure, I had to do first aid and emergency preparedness and swimming, but I didn't have to do archaeology, so why would I? It was hard. Basket weaving was much easier. We all tend towards what is easy. Now, I want you to imagine in these verses that you're on a journey And you are loaded down with all the luggage that you can gather. You got the full set of luggage. (laughs) Every size, every piece. You got a backpack on, you got every suitcase, you got knapsacks, you got duffel bags, 
And as much as you can carry, that's what you're loaded down with. And in those bags is everything the, the earth promises, everything the world promises, all the stuff in life that we want to we gather and collect and carry with us. We want to keep the, these things with us forever because uh, we somehow think they've given us life. All those things that make us look good and, and feel good, be right, stay in control, all the seven giants that Bob Mumford talks about. Get our own way, get the advantage, remain undisturbed. We want all those things in life that we think give us life. Now, there you are, you're loaded down with all of this baggage and it's heavy. And you are standing at this big, wide-open gate that is beautiful. And engraved on it are these words, freedom, fun, pleasure, self-actualization, self-fulfillment, destiny. But off to the side, you see this little sign that's just kind of uh, driven into the ground, just a small little wooden sign. And on it says, this way to the narrow gate that leads to life. And there you are with all your baggage and all you're loaded down with at this wide open gate and that little sign and you think to yourself, hmm, that's interesting. It promises life, but look at the path leading to it. It doesn't look like anyone goes there. Why would I go there? And then you hear some travelers talking about this elusive narrow gate and how you can't get anything you're carrying through it with you. In fact, it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than it is to get the luggage you're carrying through that narrow gate. Apparently, you have to discard everything you're carrying to even get through it. You might even say it's impossible. Jesus would tell you, with God, all things are possible. And so there you stand, needing to decide this massive, beautiful, golden, self-actualizing gate where the path is so well laid out beyond. And it is so wide, how could you miss it? And there's plenty of room to drag everything with you that you've gathered throughout your life, all the clutter and junk and garbage you think gives you life. Wide enough to go through, take everything with me. You have to decide. Do you choose the wide gate that requires nothing of you? That you don't have to let go of anything? Easy peasy? Or do you choose the narrow gate which you have to go and find. Not many people have been there. And then you have to abandon all the stuff just to get through it. Why do people go wide? Because they're born into sin and because it's easy. And we're all prone to wander into the easy, wide path. Maybe the scariest part about these verses is not exactly what they say, 
But the fact that many think they've chosen the narrow path when in fact Jesus says they haven't. Look down a few verses in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I don't know if that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up, but it does for me. So here we stand, needing to decide. Before us is the narrow gate with its path that's difficult, the road that's hard, but which leads to everlasting life. Life that's more abundant, that's actually to be experienced not just the day you're in heaven, but the very day you begin following him. It's a life that is dynamic and is worth laying everything down for. Or the wide gate with the path that is easy that leads to destruction. As I mentioned to you earlier, the reason I'm speaking these words is because of the prophetic word that came to us on Sunday, January 23rd. I believe that it's a word for us, and this is what was said. It is a serious time, do not be deceived. There are two paths in front of each of us. Down one path are those who go down and say, all is well, playing religious games, coming to the temple saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, and going about and doing what is right in their own eyes. Be aware. That which is done in secret will be exposed. Be aware that the call is strong. But the other path leads to the kingdom of God. Be on that path where you seek his lordship, where you seek his guidance, where you seek his forgiveness, where you acknowledge his ways and you see the kingdom of God brought forth, where you see people ministered to and you see life come forth. Choose carefully. Put your feet on the path that leads to the kingdom of God and let your life be open and be not surprised when your book is read. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I would add this. Thus saith the Lord. What will we do with this prophetic warning and these words that Jesus has spoken not to those outside but to those who are following him. Will we hear them and go about our merry way or think they're intended for someone else? Will we be judgy because of them thinking somehow others haven't heard them while he's actually speaking to us? Two paths are always before us. Not just on the day we accepted Jesus, that's certainly a reality, but every day we follow him, we can still choose the wide path if we want to. One path is filled with religious games. 
where we get to take with us all the baggage that we've collected, all the clutter in our lives. But that way leads to destruction. The other path, it's narrow and it's difficult and it's hard, but it's the path of the kingdom where his lordship and guidance and forgiveness and his ways are central to the way we live our lives. This is the path that leads to eternal life. As Moses said to the children of Israel, I have set before you this day life and death. Choose life. May we choose well. Amen. My wife's going to come and tell you how unholy that I am. No, she's not going to say that. She's going to come and we're going to we're going to pray for you after she shares a few thoughts. Richard Foster says the kingdom is God's and the person who does not seek the kingdom first doesn't seek it at all. Regardless of how worthy the idolatry is that he or she has substituted for it. God's spiritual discipline, the narrow way, is about being released from the easy bondage of possession, obsessive wants, and the gnawing needs of preference, position, and power. When Jesus spoke to the multitudes, he told them they shouldn't worry about the daily things because he was going to provide all of that but that they should be investing all of their energy and passion into seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Living in that reality, making the kingdom their first priority, everything else would fall into place. He defines this as freedom. This freedom, the narrow way, gives us permission to stop defending ourselves, to act our age spiritually speaking, to stop trying to be something we are not and to stop trying to look better than we are. Instead, choosing the narrow way, we can live authentically as God's children, beloved of a faithful and exceedingly loving Father. And we claim that identity only out of his great mercy and unbelievable grace. I pray. Let's pray together. Father, we do acknowledge that anything that doesn't put you first is the same as putting you last. That's true. And out of your mercy and grace, we have been given the ability to choose differently. When we were saved and you turned our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, it was so that we could choose. So that when the two paths are in front of us, we are not helpless. In fact, we've been given the helper, the Holy Spirit, that leads us into all truth, that leads us on the right path. So Father, I ask that for anyone here who hasn't met the helper, that you would begin to draw them in that place, that they could receive the best light on the path, the person who knows the way, that the Holy Spirit would enter in and make what's hard 
easy. Yeah, that's right. Father, I pray for those of us who have the Holy Spirit but need to be reminded to attend to what he says, to listen carefully, to choose intentionally, and to choose and choose and choose again in all of the minutes that we are constantly turning towards you, remembering that you are the center, you are the source. You are the only priority. Father, thank you for your mercy in saying these words of direction to us again today. It's in your kindness and your love that you show us the one path that leads to abundant life. Yes, Lord. Jesus, we thank you um, for your words to us. And I recognize, Lord, that words taken apart from your spirit can oftentimes be heavy and laboring. And that is not what you came for. When we think about staying on a narrow, difficult path, if we're not careful, we'll see that as the effort we put into it to make it happen. And it's not that. It's choosing you. You're the gate. You're also the path. You're the way. You're the life. You're the truth. And so what we're saying is not that I can do it. I can do it. But as we submit to you, you will do it. You will do it in us. I pray for anyone that's listening here today, that's here with us, or maybe listening to this today online, or maybe later this week. Lord, may your spirit speak to each of us. And those that are struggling in these areas, that have opted towards the wideness of life, and picked up the baggage that comes with it and that are trying to get all that we've gathered into a place where you'll bless us. Lord, may your spirit bring conviction and may he bring deliverance and may he bring freedom and may he bring wholeness in Jesus' name. Let us relinquish that which is in our hand receive that which you have for us we we give it up so that we can receive your life we ask these things in your name